Greetings. Hello and welcome. The archival recording you are about to hear was sourced from live streaming audio in an effort to expand content reach. I have decided to repurpose the show as an audio podcast. I have done my best to remaster the audio quality for your ears, but I have chosen to leave its content and length unedited. So you may hear reference to visual cues not described in said audio. If you'd like to see the original live streaming video podcast this recording comes from, please head over to youtube.com slash C slash Frumis Films LLC or just search Frumis, F-R-U-M-E-S-S. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Audio from episode to episode will also vary in quality. Sorry about that. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Jeff oh it's alive it's alive (laughs) welcome to sinful celluloid with your hosts chris and jeff how you doing chris i'm doing well and this episode this video is brought to you by captain bucanero all right and and as well as polar, you'll have you'll handle the hard drinks. I'll handle the soft drinks. So whatever he just said, plus polar, <laughs> works out perfect. Um, so for so what is this show? Oh shit! What is that? You hear what? that? No. Is that you? Nope. Yeah, that is you. What? You sound like a robot. Oh. Holy I'm shit! Purposeful. Yeah, maybe try. Do I sound like a robot? Nope. Oh, you sound like a big-time robot, dude. Try unplugging your headphones. Like a Cylon? or It's like... Try it now. How's that? Nope. Damn, you sound like a robot. Hold on, I'm going to boot you for a second. Hold on, I'm hiding Chris. Let's see if we can bring... We'll bring Chris back in just a second. Hold on, ready? One, two, three. Chris is back. Hi, Chris. Hello. No, man, you sound like a robot. What's up with that? Hold on. We were fine. I know. We were literally fine. Why does this have to happen when we go live? Let me see what you sound like on the thing. Um, all right. Oh, no, now you sound fine. Hello. Hi. Hello. Okay, great. And Milton says you sound fine as well. Okay. But it's not – I mean, not Milton, John of Doom. Shit. Yeah, so I can't control comments. from The only way I can control them is from, from in – Inside. In any case, guys, enough technical nonsense. You know how this, how my channel is. And this is so on brand for the Frumis channel. We have some sort of technical difficulty to start off and launch this show. Now, this show is not necessarily entirely brand, brand new because it's based on a brand. Why don't, you know, you, you kind of talked about this on, on the previous show you were on. But very quickly, where does Sinful Celluloid come from, Chris? Um, I left, um, I left the day-to-day job or I work for Bank of America and I'm sitting around and I'm having to come up with something and basically start a blog and had to come up with a name for it. I didn't want something that was going to pigeonhole me in horror, even though everything's horror anyway, but <laughs> I wanted the option. And so that's where I came up with sinful celluloid because as long as it's sinful, it's okay. And the sinful is subjective. So right. that's how that all came together. 
it makes sense been around for 10 years back when there was still like all the internet you know horror sites you could go to there were um Blade Disgusting and Dread Central and Shock G Drop and myself and a few others that you know have been around at varying degrees and various levels and now Dread Central lips along and Blade Disgusting is there and I'm there but it's not the way it was that era is gone the day, those days are long gone those days are long gone the days of the studios paying us to put stuff up are gone is a shame but you know you gotta remember you gotta remember the good times and just move on into the future so that's what we're doing here so basically what we've done is you know uh chris came on my my you know misfit sam hayne danzig themed show uh that i would say is obviously you know uh one of the main draws of this channel and uh, did not talk about Misfit Sam Hayner dancing almost at all. It, it was really ironic because Chris Chris is in like really tight with Glenn and you know really well versed in Misfit Sam Hayne and Danzig. And you would think that it would be like a oh, so, so you know like what does what a good you know like but we ended up just talking about movies for four hours and you know much like music you know much like the fact that like. You know, despite like a great example of you know whether you're whether you like each other or not, if you have chemistry or if there's a chemistry, you have to like like go towards it because that's what's gonna you know make something work and jive. And I think Chris and I realized that we had a synergy that we could really talk movies, not only just talk movies, but that we can um you know almost like civilly argue about them as well we we don't agree which i really like about our discourse you know chris has and and that we can each state our two cents you know in uh, it's just really nice it's really interesting and i have a pretty good feeling that we're going to disagree i don't know we'll see i have a feeling we're going to disagree a whole bunch tonight for this episode we decided i you know chris uh, very generously was like, hey, what do you want to do for the first episode? I wanted to do Quentin Tarantino because on the last show that he was on, the first and last show that he was on, um, I wanted to bring him back and I wanted to talk about Quentin Tarantino and I had a question. Maybe we should maybe we should bake that question in. We don't have to answer that question right away. But I, I left the audience with the question and I want you guys to all ponder it on it as well. And then we'll return to it in a little bit after Chris and I talk about our subject at hand. And the question is, it's, it has to do with Reservoir Dogs, Quentin Tarantino's first film. And you have the characters, spoilers, by the way, and fuck you if you haven't seen this movie because it's like freaking how many years old? Like, it's really old. Like It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't count. It's not saying spoilers anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. It's like spoilers um, for God with the wind. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, 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 I agree. So, and by the way, guys, if you see me turning my head, it's because I, I'm on a phone right now. My setup is all different. So... I'm very much in the conversation. As a matter of fact, I like, can see you guys over here. Um, point being, now I'm staring at the camera. Point being, at the end of Reservoir Dogs, Mr. Orange, played by Tim Roth, and Mr. White, Tim Roth is dying. He's, he's convulsing blood. And Mr. White, played by Harvey Keitel, uh, basically defends Tim Roth from his bosses, from their bosses for the heist or whatever. And it, le it left me with a very interesting, it made me wonder, it made me ask myself this question. Why? Why does Mr. White defend Mr. Orange? 
and why do they both die for it? I want to leave you with that question. I have an answer. Uh, I'm very curious to see how Chris reacts to the answer. If he agrees, if he disagrees, we are going to talk some shit out. But let's start here in our conversation about Quentin Tarantino because there's so many different, there's so much to talk about. Like it's disgusting how much there's to talk about. I'm going to start with this. Chris, what is your favorite Quentin Tarantino film? (laughs) Well, okay. Okay. I'm going to, I don't want to get into semantics, but are we talking Quentin Tarantino written or written written and directed? Okay, here's my question for you. All right, here's my, you know, you just you just hit the tennis ball back to me. I'm going to serve it back to you. How about this? Um, does a Quentin Tarantino written movie, is Quentin Tarantino so encompassing in, in work that even a movie that's not uh, directed by Quentin Tarantino is still a Quentin Tarantino film when usually it's the director's tentacles that make it a director's film. Would you agree with that? Um, yes, depending on how it's executed. So I know there's not a whole lot to choose from, but True Romance mm-hmm. is a Quentin Tarantino film. I think right. that From Dust to Dawn is as much a Tarantino film as it is a Robert Rodriguez film. 100%. Right? Mm-hmm. But... Natural Born Killers is completely and totally an Oliver Stone film. You, uh, you are so fucking right about that. It's scary. Yes. you. I, wow. You nailed it on the head. I want to talk all about From Dust Till Dawn. But for the sake of, for the sake of semantics, let's, let's, let's say that it ha- – let's, let's first go, what's your favorite Quentin Tarantino film that's written and directed by Quentin Tarantino? This you is know, like a litmus test gonna, for personality, I think. I'm going to hold on Reservoir Dogs. Interesting. Okay. Uh, for me, it is Kill Bill. I don't say Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2 because, to me, I look at Kill Bill as one, one feature. Yeah, it's one feature. It started off as a single feature. You know, I, I've never encountered a person who's like, no, you got to pick Kill Bill Volumes 1 or 2. Which one is it? It's like, no. It's, it's, a, it's a whole film. So, for me, I just say... Kill Bill, because it used to be Kill Bill, the whole bloody affair, uh, yeah. a print that only Tarantino has, that he only plays at the new Bev, and um, will never, it's like my holy grail uh, for like, I want Arrow to put that out or something, and it's never going to happen. So sad. Truly. Uh, so that's my pick. Are you challenging me to get you a copy? Uh, wait, what? Are you challenging me to get you a copy? Um, so, so it's funny you say that because I actually do have a copy. All right, then shut up. (laughs) But I want the official release. Well, it was supposed to come out in Japan. And it never did. It was supposed to be a Japanese release. It never did. Yeah, correct, correct. I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see on that one. I think like a lot of things, things will change as he gets older. You got to hold some, you have to hold on to some stuff to make money later when you mm-hmm. don't want to do it anymore or you're too old to do it anymore. And that's just a fact that we can go into a million people who have bolts of shit. That they right. Sit on. Why? Because you're not young forever. Right. You just stockpile it for a rainy day when you need it. Exactly. Come on. When Prince died, how much shit do they have? Holy Come shit. On. So, you know what? Just be patient. I, I will be patient. I, um, 
I'm not proud to say I don't like to own pirated or bootlegged things, but that was something that I acquired because I have been dying to see the cut and someone sort of made a cut as best as one could make a cut from the materials that are available in various different releases. And um, I have yet to watch it, uh, but I'm very excited to watch the four hour, three minute running time. A long time ago, like the day I got it. What is wrong with My you? God. Well, you know what it is? I just I have to be in the right mood when I watch it. And, you know, again, you know, someone says, what's your favorite Kill Bill volumes one or two? It's like, bro, I'm going to watch that together. Like, you really think that I'm going to watch Kill Bill volume one and then go, okay, time to go for a jog. Dude, that's like, fucking, what's your favorite fucking Titanic? Take one or take two. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Fucking... One, because it's got tits, or two, because the boat sinks. So, question is that? So, one of my all-time favorite films, let alone Quentin Tarantino films, and I'm a a huge admirer of Robert Rodriguez, as I'm sure you are as well. And I, from Dust Till Dawn, is it's a masterpiece. It's the proto grindhouse. People don't think of it like that, but you know, long before they did, about 11 years before they did Grindhouse, they had actually done an earlier version because, you know, From Dust Till Dawn is a two-hour film, right? The first hour, it takes them a whole hour just to get to the to the bar. Yeah. That first whole hour is, one, as you said, it is a 100, it's 100% Quentin Tarantino. It is a Quentin Tarantino gangster crime thriller in the same vein as stuff like Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, whatever you want to call it. And then the tone and everything else shifts and it becomes a Robert Rodriguez, shoot him up in a bar, desperado action horror film. And it just, the, it, the synergy between these two guys to make something like this so seamless and yet so, like, unique to each one of the tones, just, it's, it's a masterpiece. And it really is. It's phenomenal. It's, it's one of the few, like, um, Full Tilt Boogie, the making Love of. Love it. Love it's it. One of the few making ofs. And I, obviously, there were so many that I watched every time I turned around, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or the commentaries that every time I threw a disc in for Evil Dead 2 or Reanimator or whatever, I had to watch the commentary one, right? I right. watched it so much I can't anymore. I will still throw in Full Tilt Boogie and watch it to this day, anytime. Because it's Saturday, a feature. Saturday afternoon, throw it in yeah. there and just... So, I agree with you, absolutely, 100%. And... For me, that um, I can't watch the whole getting into the titty twister, sitting down, that whole opening, mm. you know, scene in the titty twister where they first get in there and they're having the whole discussion and they start doing the shots and all that stuff. I can't watch it and not drink. <laughs> that is my like Friday night. Okay, work is done. Let's get this party started. Cut straight to that scene. And then roll from there. It's so um, it's it's an all encompassing scene, and it's such a it's so juiced that everything about it works so much. And it's one of those places, you know, the set is one of those places you'll never find in real life, you know, or at least rarely. It gets you all pumped up, like I want to go out because I want to go out a place like that. 
which of course you're going to end up at some shitty place that's nothing like that <laughs> with overpriced shots in your bag. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Um, what's really interesting too is it's a prime example of Quentin Tarantino taking his written material that he cherishes so and like has to direct and he entrusts it with his best friend, Robert Rodriguez, who's also a filmmaker. And it just goes to show like, you know, Quentin Tarantino is like, oh, you know, I only want to do 10 films, but like, ha- like is a writer through and through. And you think like, dude, just like keep writing and just give your shit to people you trust, you know, and we'll get films like From Dust Till Dawn and True Romance and stuff. You know what I mean? I do. But here's the thing. Two things. One, any filmmaker, any person with as strong as a personality as Quentin has, you know is sitting there going, here's what I would do. And sort of adjust the scene, even though you're not directing it, you know, you know, Robert's gonna be he's gonna be ears to you. Okay, well, what are you thinking? I'm thinking this. And then all of a sudden Quentin starts resetting the camera or, or walking through the scene and so on and so forth. You know what I mean? So not necessarily ghost directed, but you got to understand, and you know what a powerful personality Quentin is. It's very hard, hard for him to sort of just sit back and not do anything. He had his prints all over dust. You know, especially. Yeah. So I don't think that was necessarily a thing. And as someone who is a very strong personality like myself, I know that, you know, I cannot just fucking sit there. I can't. I try, but I can't. <laughs> it's it's got to be the me show. So, um, you know, I not that he's bulldozing over Robert or anybody else, but you you have to know that that's the kind of stuff that takes place normally and with a personality like his is certainly going to take place. Um, At the same time, though, I mean, you look as much as I agree, you you definitely see Quentin Tarantino's prints all over from Dust Till Dawn, but. You also see all of that stuff, you know, Robert, who is a, you know, he's a true renaissance man in every sense of the word in that he, you know, writes, directs, shoots and edits and scores his features, man. I mean, he, you know, he's he's a phenomenal cinematographer and his cinematography and his editing go tandem with each other. Like if he's editing the film, he has to shoot it, you know, like to know how it's all going to fit together. And you still get that you have you totally feel that desperado style even with all the you know quentin tarantino ness of it all even in the opening scene even that opening scene you would feel like would be in some bar in mexico and antonio banderas is gonna jump out with uh what's his face uh the brilliant the the brilliant uh, earl mcgraw who plays earl McGraw, michael michael parks, michael parks. Um, to, to, to stay on the Quint, uh, the From Dust Till Dawn tip, even though this is not Quentin Tarantino, uh, what are your feelings? Do you appreciate Texas Blood Money and The Hangman's Daughter as much as I do? I don't like um, Texas Blood Money as much. I, was, I have it, and I haven't watched it since I initially did, so I really need to sit there and do that again. Yeah, you and should revisit it. Again, I promise myself to do so. That being said, I like the Hangman's Daughter. I thought that oh, that love it. Dark, you know, there's, love there's it. Nothing wrong with it. You know, it's not this, right? But it's not going to be that. 
So don't sit there and go, it's not as good as the first one. Not going to be. It's something completely different, which always goes back to what I tell people and what we talked about. Judge a movie on what it's trying to be and not on what you want it to be. I want to I, I wanna counter that. I want to counter that for okay. a minute. Okay. I was thinking about that the other day because I knew you were going to pull that out on me at some point. I agree. I agree fully with that sentiment. I love it. I think it's a great – you know, I you were the one who said that to me, and I definitely take it to heart. And it's something that I think, like, you know, if you're, if you're weighing a film, like, for instance, I just watched Malignant. Not to – we're going to keep this on Tarantino, but I'm just using this as an example. Don't tell me anything because I ain't seen it yet. Oh, then I'm not going to use it as an example, period. Okay, Forget yeah. it. I want just, – just watch Malignant. And then watch my watch my review debate with my friends. Um, no, uh, I don't know what when when appraising a film that should be a factor that should, like you know how you like check off boxes like you take off oh it, you know this 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 like you're running through a checklist that should be one of the things on the checklist. But I don't think it's it can't be the be all end all, and it can't be the sole shield to defend a movie that has sins <laughs> that has sins yeah. uh, to, you know, uh, atone for. So Fair Fair I, I do think, I do think it's a good, it's a good thing, but I'm, I'm not, I, I, it can't be the soul. You can use that, but it has to be in tandem with some other piece of evidence or some other defense. It can't be the only thing, by the way, I see comments. I saw comments. I can't see your comments at all. I'm so focused on the conversation. I'm blind to the comments. So if you're leaving comments, I'm very sorry. I can't see them at the moment. I'm going to open up my thing here and see if I can find them. Yes. Um, R.I.P. Norm McDonald. Absolutely. That one fucking hit me hard. Um, yes. Oh, my God. Norm, Norm McDonald. Right. Fuck. It's like, wait, what? Um, Quentin is feet fetish. You know, every... Not every, but well, no, every, 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 has a <laughs> we don't all put them on screen. But you know what? We don't notice them because we're not looking for them. Yeah. But Quinn, you know, okay. He likes feet. He does. So Rob loves his wife. I mean, you know, but again, every director puts their girl in their fucking movies. If she's an actress and sometimes when she's not. So what? You know, just deal with it. <laughs> you know, I I wrote a review. <laughs> I wrote a review uh, on my website. If you go to fromus.com, I I used to write these long-winded before I spoke in long-winded sec, uh, sentences on my YouTube channel. I used to write long-winded sentences in my blog. B L A G B L A H G like blah with a G at the end, blog. Uh, you can find it at fromus.com. One of the last things I, I wrote about, you know, I write about just whatever I felt like writing about. And one of the long-winded pieces was about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I called it Quentin Tarantino's Ninth Feet, sure. Wow. <laughs> because there are scenes devoted to the feet of Andy McDowell's daughter. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this right now. We're going to go out of order, and we have to because yeah, go ahead. We are talking about we're talking about what's fun in Hollywood sometime tonight. So just keep that in mind. When time starts getting short, we're going into that. No, yeah, listen, we can talk about it right now. I'm ready. You you let me know. You you steer, well, no, steer the boat. 
let's start with Reservoir Dogs. Let's start with Reservoir Fine. Dogs, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Yes, Rob loves his clowns and his famous monsters. Um, okay, yes. I, I see this comment about Michael from Amy, Michael Parks, Earl McGraw. He's the best. Yep. He's the freaking best, dude. Michael Parks is the Michael shit. Parks. And he's yeah. in the third From Dust Till Dawn film. He's in it. He plays Amos Poe or something, this this guy who, who who's looking for Pancho Villa in the Old West. Long before Danzig had his uh, House of Vampires, there was From Dust Till Dawn 3, The Hangman's Daughter. It would make a great double feature, if you ask me. Um, so there's that. Um, but... Um, Reservoir Dogs. Okay, let's let's ask the question. Let, let's answer the question. So okay. at the very beginning of this episode, uh, a mere 23-ish minutes ago, I posed you all a question. I said, why does Mr. White defend Mr. Orange, Tim Roth? Why does Harvey Keitel defend Tim Roth from Chris Penn? And I forget the name of that other actor, the two bosses who... Thank you. Who I'm not going to remember how to pronounce that name, but I'll just let Chris say it. Um, who, who pronounce? Um, sorry. Who, 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 who put them on the job, right? And what happens? Tim Roth gets shot in the gut on the job, and he's bleeding out in the warehouse. And uh, at first, Mister White blows away Mister Blonde, who figures out that. Tim, oh no 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 no! Sorry. Wow. I, by the way, I did not get a chance to rewatch before this episode. I wanted to because I really wanted to be fresh on it. What uh, wasn't able to do it, but no. Now I remember. Mister Blonde is torturing the cop, stuck in the middle with you, and just when it's going to reach its climax, he's going to set the cop on fire. Yeah. Mister Orange pulls out his gun as he's bleeding to death, and boom, 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 boom. He blows away Mister Blonde and reveals that he is a cop to the policeman. There you go. And that's the what happens. Start. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Which is a brilliant way to initiate flashbacks. And so, and so um, we find this out. Uh, nobody else knows that he's a cop. Blah, 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 blah. Um, we get to the end and Mr. White is defending Mr. Orange, who um, from, from, from the two bosses who are pretty sure that he's a cop. And Tim Roth is lying lying through his teeth and what happens we get the very famous mexican standoff chris how does it what what ends up happening fill us in um basically uh, mr white harvey Keitel, kills both of them and gets shot in return goes down and he you know drags himself over to mr orange and sort of cradles him because they're both dying right and fucking Mr. Orange tells him, you know, out of guilt or out of whatever you can imagine, I'm a cop, Larry. And what happens? Larry pulls the trigger on him. You know, the cops burst in, put the gun down. He's right. processing what he just heard. Right. Probably what he just did. Right. You know, based on a lie, you know, in right. his head. Yep. And he shoots him in the head. Right. And then the cops take him out. Now, now that's what happens, and I took that at face value for many, many, many years. And then one day I was watching Reservoir Dogs, and I asked myself this question, and I go, gee, why does he do that? Why does they barely know each other for a couple of weeks? I mean, you sit, you sit here, and the bosses are like, 
you know, he's a fucking cop. Kill him. And Mr. White, Harvey Keitel, is like, no, he's not a cop. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's a trustworthy guy. You know, uh, you know, Mr. White did time for these guys. He kept his mouth shut. He gave years of his life for these two boss guys, right? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, now here he is sticking up for a guy that he barely fucking knows who's already out, who's already dying, you know, and they're in this dire situation. Why does Mr. White defend Mr. Orange? And then the flip side of that, the cops burst through the door, put the gun down. He's dead. He's he's dead as a doorknob. He knows he's dead because he knows he's not going to go back to jail. He knows he's either going to be he knows he's going to be shot by the cops, right? Like he knows his life is forfeit in this moment. Harvey Keitel as he right. holds Mr. Orange, and as this is happening, Mr. Orange is saved. Mr. Orange has been rescued by the police, right? Because Mr. Orange is one of the good guys secretly, and right. yet, even though he's one of the good guys, what does he do? He snatches defeat from the jaws of victory. How does he do this? He confesses to Mr. White, Harvey Keitel, a.k.a. Larry, I'm a cop. And then what does Larry do? He starts to cry. He goes, oh, no, no, something like that, right? And then he executes Mr. Orange. I go, holy shit. Why? How did we get here? Why did these characters make these choices? There's no rational reason why any of these men would do such things except for one reason. Ready? Ready for it? This is why he drank. This is yeah, this is why he drinks. But tell me if any of you agree with me. The reason why is because Mr. White and Mr. Orange love each other. And when I say love each other, I don't mean like brotherly love. I don't mean friendship love. I mean they are romantically in love with each other. The ending of this film is Romeo and Juliet. It is star-crossed lovers who basically choose to die together. Mr. Orange chooses, Mr. White chooses, knows he's going to die when the police come through the, <laughs> through the door. And Mr. Orange knows he's going to die because he knows he's going to confess to Mr. White. And he knows Mr. White is going to blow him the fuck away. And so these guys choose death because they can't be together in life. They fucking love each other. That's why Mr. White is willing to portray his bosses. That's why Mr. Orange is willing to turn his back on his job and, you know, everything that he just risked, everything he just did, just because he knew that he couldn't lie to the man he loved. <sighs> Mic drop. 